Our reading today is taken from St. Paul's Epistles to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels and demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. What do you do when you get to the top of a mountain? Probably you would take off 
your heavy rucksack and enjoy the view. I think that's what we do, isn't it? And we are going through Romans and we've got to the top of the mountain. And today, after all the hard work of the first chapters of Romans, we get to admire the view, the amazing view of all that God has done for us, the promises that he gives to us. On the way up a mountain, you might get some nice scenery, but when you get to the top, you can really see for miles and miles and miles. Look at this picture from the top of Mount Snowdon. You can see into the distance and out in the distance, you can see the sea at the edge of the land that goes on over the horizon. This is the view that we have today, an amazing view from the top of the pinnacle of this letter to the Romans. It's a view that gives us four perspectives of our existence, our past, our present, our future, and our eternal destination. It's just an amazing view. So I'm excited about this chapter. I hope that you will be excited about this chapter by the time we get to the end of it. We're here at the very top of the mountain where it says hope. It's almost cut off, it's so high at the top of the mountain. A lot of chapters in the Bible will give you a nice verse to remember, to hang on to, to cling on to. This chapter has got four brilliant verses. There's there's more, there's more than that, but I've picked out four brilliant verses, verses that we could remember and hang on to. Because this chapter gives us just such a brilliant view of the amazing hope that we have in Jesus. I'm going to tell you a secret, and for those online, don't tell anyone either, but I sometimes use verses in Romans chapter 8 as my passwords on the computer. I'm not going to tell you which ones, but if you put it in there, Romans and then the the number, and then the dot, and then the verse. You get more than seven characters. You get a capital letter and and a number and a specific thing. And then every time you put in your password, it just reminds you of this great chapter, Romans chapter eight. It is, it is a brilliant chapter to spend time in. And it's just such a blessing to be able to spend time in it today. We finally reach the top. And just like Paul we're excited to look at all of the, the vistas that are opening up before us, all of the dimensions of our existence that this chapter brings to us. So I've got four words to sum up the four parts of this chapter. They don't begin with the same letter, but they end with the same four letters. So you have to forgive me that. But each part of the chapter, we're looking at justification in the first part, Adoption in the second, glorification in the third part, and then destination in the fourth. You might want to get your Bibles out and follow it through on page uh, 1134. Uh, but otherwise, uh, just enjoy the ride because it's, it's just great. We've now left Romans chapters 6 and 7, which were talking about being trapped in an endless cycle of sin. And now we get the good news that God has done something that has changed us forever. And the first great verse that I think we should look at is this one. There is now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's say that together. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All those feelings of shame, of disappointment, of rejection, of fear that crowd in on us when we go wrong, all of those feelings can be rebuked because of this verse. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the solid base for our hope that God has sent his own son to stand in our shoes and become a sin offering for us, the perfect sacrifice made once for all. Body and blood, soul and spirit, he took our guilt and shame and he condemned sin in the flesh. Because Jesus was condemned, there is now no condemnation for us. Our sin is not swept under the carpet, it is nailed to the cross once and for all. In the light of what Jesus has done, God will not condemn us because we have passed from death to life. And Paul goes on to explain how this new life is life in the spirit. This same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. We are more than conquerors. How do you feel this morning? Are you feeling like more than a conqueror? His spirit is at work within us. And so we can claim that promise. Our hope is placed in this power of God at work in us. It's a bit like a hiker carrying a heavy rucksack. When you get to uh, the top of the mountain, and if you had a rucksack on, if you kept it on and then carried all the stuff in it all the way back down, it wouldn't have been much use to you, would you? But if you, at the top of the mountain, got out the water that was inside and drank it to refresh you, that would be a good thing to start. And if you got out your special little bar of Kendall mint cake, which is just lovely. Has anybody never had Kendall mint cake? Because if you haven't, I'm happy to give you a bit after. This is uh, a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to take with you up mountains. If you took these things up the mountain and then brought them all the way home, they wouldn't have done you any good. The law is a bit like a burden on our back that weighs us down, that makes each step more difficult. But the Spirit are those supplies that God has given us. He's given us these supplies of the Spirit that work within us to give us the energy to carry on making that effort as we go through life. God's Spirit is at work within us. We're going to celebrate communion and welcome Jesus' body and blood into us so that he in us is at work in this world. We now live according to the Spirit, the Spirit that gives us the power to carry on. So we don't need to accept our failings. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit growing within us. Now that won't always be a direct line. This week, we got caught in a big traffic jam in an accident that happened on the M27. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is patience. 
And just as we got to the junction, my patience was running low. And so I zipped off the motorway, deciding to go through Eastleigh and Fair Oak to get us home more quickly. Was that a good idea? No, it wasn't a good idea. If I'd had more patience, stayed on the motorway, we'd have got home a whole hour earlier. And my wife wasn't very happy about that either. But I need to see that that patience needs to be growing within me. We can't accept that this is just the way we are. The Spirit of God at work within us should be changing us. Next time we get to a, a, a traffic jam on the motorway, I need to remember that God is at work within me and I need his patience to get through the day. We can no longer say, this is just the way I am. The Spirit helps us to put to death those things that are within us so that we can live as God wants us to. Our past is cleared and so we are justified and we are now children of the living God. This is the next great vista that opens up before us. Our past is behind us. There's now no condemnation and instead This verse, for those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Let's say this verse together. For those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. This is our new identity. We can start this abundant life right now. This is who we are in the present. Just as we've sung in that last song. This is who I am. Who God tells us we are. It's the same as John wrote at the very start of his gospel. To all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so Paul speaks of sonship and adoption as this new identity that we have. Because in the Roman world, adoption was part of their way of life. Did you know that the rulers, the Caesars, of Rome often adopted their successor. So Julius Caesar passed his rule onto an adopted son. And he, in turn, adopted Tiberius, who was the emperor when Jesus was born. Under Roman law, if you were adopted into a powerful family, your life would completely change. All your former debts were cancelled. You became a new person with a new name, with new prospects for the future because you were co-heirs, equal heirs with any natural-born son. And Paul sees this as a perfect analogy for the gospel. The courtroom acquittal is now a place of adoption. God is no longer a judge, but he's now an indulgent father. The theologian John Calvin said this, Consider it this way. Oops, let's get that sign up. Consider it this way. This is the wondrous exchange made by his boundless goodness. Having become with us the Son of Man, Jesus has made us with himself sons of God. Being thus reconciled by the righteousness of Christ, God becomes instead of a judge an indulgent father. Isn't that an amazing transformation? In the ancient world, the gods were seen as 
um, tyrants who were taking out their wrath on the people of the world, punishing people like cruel judges. And here here Paul says, God has revealed himself through Jesus as the loving heavenly father. That's what Jesus came to do, to change our perspectives of who God is. Showing who God is in his life, in his mercy, his compassion. And Paul says, this is how we should now pray to God. Abba, Father. A term of intimate connection with God. God is committed to us. So justification leads to adoption. We have this inheritance to look forward to. And so Paul says that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that God has waiting for us. The glory that there will be revealed in us. And so we get to our third great verse. And this is just such a blessing for our futures. Whenever you're worried or depressed about the future, think about this verse and what it means. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Let's say this one together. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now that doesn't say that life will always be easy. It doesn't say that we'll never have difficulties or trials to face. But what it does say that in all things, God will be working for our good. Jesus never said following him would be easy. If we tell people that, we do them a disservice. But he did say he would always be with us and never forsake us. And in all things, God will work for our good. Be sure to see that the Spirit helps us in our weakness so that we may be glorified. That's God's plan for us, that his glory will be revealed through us through us. It's amazing, isn't it? We need to work for the reconciliation and restoration of our relationships with God, with one another, and even with our world. Paul says, the world, the whole creation is groaning in expectation. And as we look around, we see our world is groaning. Groaning because of the damage that we've done to it. So we have a part to play in reconciling and restoring our creation. That matters to God and it matters to us. And then finally, we see out into the future. And Paul says that we, can't, we don't just look at the path down the mountain. We look at the far distant horizon and what's going to go on beyond that horizon said, this is our eternal destination. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he included in that, in those two verses? He's included absolutely everything, hasn't he? Everything in heaven and on earth. He is saying that he is convinced that nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
Let's say this verse together. For I am convinced that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see, this is our eternal hope. This is the hope that we have, not just for this life, but for eternity. Have you ever thought how weird it is that in a lot of churches, they're surrounded by graveyards. To get to the front door, you have to walk through the buried bodies of the dead. That is a bit weird. In most cultures, dead, the dead people are put outside of everyday life. They're put in shrines up on mountains or they're floated down the river as ashes or the Vikings used to send their dead out on a ship that was a light. But the Christian hope has enabled us to bury those who've gone before us as saints who will be with us at the resurrection. There's a painter called Stanley Spencer and he painted this amazing picture of his local church where he went to worship every week. This is the church in Cookham where he lived. And you can see at the resurrection all the people are climbing up out of the tombs. The lids of the tombs have been knocked off. And at the resurrection they're all coming to life to be with us ready to meet our maker. If, we, if he comes before we die we'll meet him alive. If he comes after we die we'll be coming up to meet him out of our tombs. This is why we can bury the dead around us because we're, we have this sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life because on both sides of that divide between life and death, God holds us in his love. There is nothing, neither life nor death, that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is nothing, nothing that can separate us from God. This is the amazing hope that we have. This is the awesome truth that God has given to us. I heard a brilliant um, description of hope the other day at a meeting I went to. They said, the lady there, the, the bishop, she happened to be, said, hope is faith standing on tiptoes. Hope is faith standing on tiptoes. You see, we need a firm faith to ground us in this life. But the hope is not what we see in front of us, but what we see when we stand on tiptoes upon that faith. Our world is a mess, isn't it? You look around us, there are wars and rumours of wars. There are earthquakes and famines and floods. There's climate change. There's injustice and poverty. All these things can distract us. All of these things can become the focus of our life. But our hope means that we stand on tiptoes upon the faith that we have and we look over those things. Just like being up this mountain enables us to look over all of the stuff that's around us and see the promises of God that we can hold on to. We have this 360 degree panorama of God's great purposes for us. Our past, our present, our future, our eternity. 
Looking back, our past no longer determines our identity. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have this new identity because those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. We have confidence for the future because we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And we know that we have an eternity because nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. In the present, we can cry out to God as Abba, Father, and bring to him all of our needs. And as we stand on tiptoes, we have this hope that allows us to see far beyond what the world can see, far beyond all that the world presents to us. What a view we have. What an amazing view lies before us. Let's pause and let's pray. Heavenly Father, loving Heavenly Father, help us to hold in our hearts this hope that you have given to each one of us. A hope that we have been justified because of all that you have done, all that you have won for us through Jesus on the cross. And Lord, help us to live in this new identity as your children, as children of the living God, calling you Abba Father. Help us to look forward to the glory that you long to reveal in us and in your world around us. And help us to know our eternal destination is to be with you, resting in your love, your eternal presence and peace. Lord Jesus, may this hope be a firm foundation for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.